hundred percent do I agree that you know having a language gives you that extra opportunity and gives you more money. The average is about fifteen percent more. So the people who spoke the local dialect could could claim up to fifteen percent more. There was just far fewer of them as well. Welcome to the More Than Words podcast, brought to you by Rosetta Stone UK, preparing you for real-world conversations in new languages. I'm Alex Southwaite, and in this podcast series, we immerse ourselves in culture by hearing different stories that will inspire, fascinate, and educate. And today, we're bringing you our final episode of the first series, where we discuss language, careers, and how understanding a different culture can set you apart from the rest. Our experts answer all your questions around how self-development allows you to seize new opportunities and cultures while you continue to progress your career. And with me today is Justin Maguire, CEO of DMCG Global, an international recruitment firm, and the wonderful Susie Dent, who's back to chat about language fluidity and how it's helped her career. Welcome, Susie and Justin. Hi. Hi. So we have heard over the past couple of weeks, Susie, a bit about your career and how you got started, but I'd love to dive in with Justin first today. If you could tell me a little bit about how your career got started. I started my career working in uh, marketing communications in, in London, albeit nearly 20 years ago. And, um, and since then, wow, my job's taken me to um, Dubai, where I ended up living there for 12 years. I had a one year where I worked in Latin America, lived and worked in Latin America as well. Uh, I was in Honduras actually. So um, don't ask me what I was doing there. I didn't actually realize it was the murder capital of the world when I chose to work there. That was a kind of something I found out afterwards. (laughs) Um, And then um, I moved to uh, Singapore two and a half years ago. um, and And here I am now. Did you always envisage you'd have a career that would move you around the world like that? Uh, no, I didn't actually. So I started my career in yeah, in Marcoms, as I said, and then ended up moving into headhunting and sort of finding international talent specifically in the Marcoms world. Um, so my my move to go abroad really was brought about by um, changes in the in the global economy. In fact, it was the, the crash in 2008 that first got me to move um, to, over to Dubai. Uh, well, which was which was probably the most fundamental career choice I made, um, and then um, as the when the oil price sort of uh, teetered a little bit and we reduced, um, we looked at sort of putting more focus in Asia than, than the Middle East on our business. I moved to to Singapore, so it's kind of been economic, um, <laughs> we say, uh, influences that have made my decision. You've lived in a few different places as well, Susie, haven't you? Was that always something that you wanted to do from a young age? Um sure it was I think I just wanted to um follow the language if that doesn't sound silly so language was definitely my first passion I don't think I just thought I want to be an adventurer and explorer but in some ways that's what you know following a language does that's where it takes you I had some slightly odd encounters so one of my first stays in Germany was as an au pair to um uh, a Finnish family in fact whose mom was the um an ambassador to uh to Germany from Finland and um that I yes that that was a kind of it was a fairly lonely experience but it was quite a good one for me because I was totally thrown in at the deep end and had no choice but to try and cope with what wasn't brilliant German at that stage um and then I lived in Berlin for a while I lived in uh, Dusseldorf 
and um yes just and lived in france for a little bit but not quite as much but uh, germany i know pretty well but gosh there's so much more to discover obviously and now that i'm learning spanish uh thanks to rosetta stone hopefully that's gonna be my next destination when you were an au pair in germany you could already speak the language um a little bit well a little bit but obviously i was there to try and teach some finnish kids um english but they had had a spanish and a french au pair before me so they were slightly confused although you know kids just absorb all this stuff they're incredible um and i i was really lucky i was i was really young and i had they i had my own little tiny apartment which was above a department store right in the middle of the city but away from the family and away from anyone that i knew so i had some sort of quite you know quite a few evenings where I put the headphones on and kind of wallow in melancholy but you know that was that was absolutely fine it was quite a good learning experience and then yeah I had to just try speaking with what I had and people were incredibly kind in fact and I still to this day so one of my greatest achievements ever is to be speaking to a German person I'd been there for a long time and she when I told her that I was English she didn't believe me and I don't think she was kidding and yeah as I say that's still one of the kind of nicest compliments I've ever had I'm not sure it would be the case now but we'll see there are actually quite a lot of jobs from a young age like you said about being an au pair there's a lot of jobs that give you the opportunity to travel the world so um, I went to teach English in Vietnam for example and that was almost straight out of university so I think a lot of people don't realize how many opportunities there are even for kind of 18 19 year olds to travel the world while working yeah there's the british council there's there's so many organizations actually now that facilitate it um and so much voluntary work overseas I and mean, obviously now with the pandemic it's it's incredibly difficult so i really feel for people who are trying to get out there now and you know absorb culture and, and language but hopefully it will come back that's a good lead on to ask you actually justin so in your industry how do you think that being bilingual helps you stand out from the crowd from other applicants for jobs? Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, I, I've obviously, um, having spent uh, 12 years abroad, work, working abroad now in, in Asia and Middle East, I've really seen, you know, I think when CVs come through to our business, you know, I've really seen the value in having, say, someone that spoke, speaks Arabic and how a brand can, you know, uh, react to that. Also being here in Asia now where the Chinese influence is so um, immense, the speaking Mandarin, how much that can help, you know, candidates as well. So I think, I think language, it's clear that language is going to play an increasingly important role. And if you want to have an internet, you know, um, most people kind of seem to expect that speaking English kind of can get you a job anywhere. And, and I've really sort of seen that, that as particularly the past five or six years, that that just isn't the case, that there's an increasing demand for um, refined skills and language is probably the top of that. And, uh, and for us, certainly it's been Arabic and Mandarin based where we work, but we, you know, that's, it, it's also Japanese, you know, I, I do a lot of work in Japan and a lot of people want to work there, but there they don't speak, you know, they really don't speak English like they do in say Singapore, you know, Japanese is the first formal language there and you're the only chance of ever getting a job somewhere like Japan or exotic like Japan or you know uh, Thailand and Indonesia is speaking the local dialect. It's interesting you say that actually because I think like you said a lot of the time in the past people would think they wanted native English speakers and that would yeah. be at the top whereas actually now we might find that as Brits generally as we can't speak as many second languages we actually might be moving down the pile of uh, yeah. international candidates. Yeah, 
I think that very much, I mean, in in Singapore, for example, I think less so in, in, in Dubai where I've lived before, but in Singapore especially, like 90% of the people we, we moved jobs for people last year in, were actually based in Singapore. So, and, and language requirement was pretty much essential for all of them. And that language was Mandarin, okay? So, it, you know, people, uh, I often get um, sort of British and American candidates reach out. And I think there's a bit of a presumption that they can land a job just because they speak English. And mm. that's just not the case anymore at all. It's that you really need to come up, if you want to take a, you know, an international gig, should we say, that you need to have land, specifically need to have a language in your, you know, in your locker if you're going to succeed. Now, that would be the same if you, if you want to go out a job in Spain or Germany as well. You know, there isn't, um, there is, there is always an assumption, I think, from British people, especially that because they speak British, they can get an international gig. And I just not seen that being the case. So do you think now people that can speak a few languages can really stand out from the crowd? Yeah, 100%. 100% and actually I, I don't think it I see it you know so um, when we're briefed on positions or when businesses want to look to expand and grow into an area that's when they work with us right so that's when I get I hear firsthand what their requirements are and if it's look if someone wants to move cult move someone with their companies let's say from there they're from the UK or the USA or, or, or an English uh, you know where English is the, the first language then what often they'll do is they'll move someone from the, the HQ to kind of take that DNA and culture with them from the, from the actual business. But they, what they, most businesses want to do is build out from within uh, you know, a company where you're embracing local culture. And of course, mm -hmm. top of that list is language. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it all the time now. And increasingly so that the battle for talent is getting, you know, it's getting harder to land a job. You know, and, there's, and particularly with the COVID situation at the moment, there are a lot of people looking. So what's going to get you top of that list? And it's going to be language. I think also as well, um, as well as the actual language skills, having those skills can build your confidence and things as well in other aspects of the job field. In fact, a friend of mine messaged me yesterday and he's just started working at TikTok and he's not required to speak any other languages apart from English. But he actually messaged me and said, oh, you use Rosetta Stone, don't you, to learn Spanish? And I said, yes. And he said that, as part of the job offer, when they sign up to work for TikTok, they get given the Rosetta Stone software to encourage them to learn a new language. And I think that's just a confidence thing. Um, it's just adding a, a skill set because he's not required to speak a different language, but I think his company think it's a, a benefit for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. yeah. I would agree. And I think also just really from a kind of um, a business point of view, you're not you're never going to be able to keep up with innovation in a in a different market if you don't know the language, because in some ways, you know, you have to know your linguistic audience. It's, it's as crucial as knowing your market. And um, there have been so many howlers, haven't there, over the years where companies have sort of moved into a different market come up with some amazing ad slogan without realizing quite what the how that's going to go down. Um, so I'll give you one example, which has become infamous, which is ZZ's restaurant chain. And ZZ in French means a certain part of the male anatomy. Um, and then there's a sports shoe shop in France called Athlete's Athlete Foot. Athlete's Foot. I always remember <laughs> seeing that. Yeah. And they think it's such a good name. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to shop there. <laughs> I know. And it works both ways as well. So there's just some famous, um, well, in English, there was a great, um, example of the difference between American English and um, British English and I'm pretty sure this one existed but it was a long time ago 
but it was Electrolux who had just come out with some incredibly powerful vacuum cleaner and they launched it in Europe with this ad slogan and then decided, great, we're going to take this to the US. And uh, the ad slogan was, nothing sucks like an Electrolux. Uh, without yeah. you know, without knowing that in America, if something sucks, it's actually really bad. Um, so there's so many examples of that that you absolutely have to know a, a local market, and in order to do that, you have to you have to sort of think local to be global in some ways. And and the only real gateway to that, I think, is languages. It's so important from a commercial point of view that if you really want to get someone like, you know, like TikTok, getting all the sort of, you know, the the various vibes from different places and how well they're going down, because culturally, you know, something can be incredibly offensive, even if it's very conservative in another country. That's a good point, actually. I suppose because TikTok's so international and everyone's watching videos in a lot of different languages, it might help as well if the, the staff are a little bit more aware of other languages or other cultures. Yeah. So, Justin, I believe that you can speak Spanish. Is that correct? Ah, well, there's a bit of a story here. So, I, yeah, <laughs> before I, um, I started my the working world, I, I, I guess I was born in Los Angeles and uh, left there after sort of six months. And then my dad's job took us to Spain. So, I grew up in the south of Spain. So that was great. Um, and, and like you were saying earlier, Susie, you sort of as a kid, you pick up everything as a sponge. You know, mm. and I, I didn't actually take any lessons whatsoever. But I found myself at home sort of being the translator for a fam the family. And it was, yeah, I think I was just immersed in the culture. So all my friends were Spanish and everything I did was in Spanish. And I thought and I dreamt in Spanish. Um, not so much anymore, unfortunately. Um, oh, but, that's the real key, isn't it? Dreaming in the language. That's yeah, like, yeah. You know, it was it was life, and uh, I it came back when I when I then um, went to Honduras, went to Latin America. It sort of all came pouring back, and I picked it up really quickly again there. But it was interesting to see the different dialects that obviously that Latin America used versus what they were using in in Spain, yeah. and actually a lot of the words that you know I took for granted they they could either be quite rude over there. Yeah. Or, just that people didn't understand them at all you know yeah. um so and vice versa when you then you know when i got back and then went on holiday in spain and i started speaking latin american dialect people were like yeah okay i get that but that that doesn't make sense what you've said i've really noticed that as also in arabic so that's a language i've got you know having lived in arabia for a long time that's a, i didn't realize just how many different dialects there are to arabic as well you know what someone in saudi sounds like versus what someone in morocco sounds like versus someone what syria sounds like they're completely different and yeah. and the words could mean you know particularly in such a, uh, a a part of the world where religion and the way phraseology is using religion is so sensitive you've got to be so careful you can like offend you know three quarters of the room particularly if you be, think you're being a bit clever like i was once and sort of relayed a couple of arabic words and actually almost offended the people in the room whereas i thought i was being quite smart you know <laughs> There's nothing worse than that look of horror and you've absolutely no idea how, yeah. how, how you elicited it. Yes, I've had that before as well. I found actually through quite a lot of South America that um, so when I was in Ecuador, I felt I was doing quite well with my Spanish and I was starting to be able to understand what people were saying and have fairly in-depth conversations. And then as soon as I got over the border into Colombia, I suddenly found that I wasn't able to understand as well. People were speaking so quickly yeah. and it just varies so much from country to country, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, it's probably the same in English. If you speak to someone from Newcastle versus you speak to someone from Cornwall, you know, you're going to get a very different, very different experience. And it's, you know, it's, it's the same. Uh, 
it's um, funny because as, as a kind of lexicographer I get to see that for um, non-native speakers of English as well because in my experience non-native speakers are amongst the most expressive and uh, proficient in English almost more proficient than non than native speakers because they learn the grammar which you know we don't do over here and they're incredible but there are so many shades of meaning and if you were to look up in the databases that we use when we're you know, charting language and seeing what's bubbling under and stuff, you'll see, like, I remember getting asked by a Spanish speaker about the word ambitious, um, because ambition is a, is, a, is a good thing. So if you look up um, ambition in our database, you'll see that it's usually accompanied by quite positive adjectives, but just take the word ambitious and you will find like she's ambitious. There's all sorts of kind of negative stuff that comes in, especially if it's a woman, I have to say, um, you know, which is is not particularly positive. And um, this Spanish woman who asked me, she couldn't quite understand why to say that someone was ambitious could actually be quite a negative thing, you know, that in, implies sort of backbiting and cutthroat um, and all of that stuff. So it's just in English as well, there's so many shades of meaning that actually only until you really understand a culture, I think, can you can you really get you know on top of them. I found that in Vietnam actually quite a lot with the word uh, fat. Ah. A lot of my a lot of my Vietnamese friends, for them it, it wouldn't be an insult if someone was saying you look fat. They'd be, mean you look well, you look healthy. Um, yeah. Whereas I think a lot of the kind of English and Americans, it took quite a lot of getting used to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If we were being called this, I mean, I remember I was given a an essay by one of my students that said my teacher is Miss Alex. She's very nice. And she is not thin. And I thought, <laughs> oh, God. That's brilliant. That's not brilliant. the kind of In America as well, actually. <laughs> I've just remembered, you know, because I did some teaching there and they always called the, the chubby kid El Gordo. And, you know, and, and that, uh, and, and they used to, used to be that. I used to think, God, that's really rude. I'd like, if I was a kid at school, I'd be, I'd be that would, demons, you know, live with me the rest of my life. But there they're like, yeah, <laughs> sense of pride, you know. <laughs> exactly. They'd say, oh, we want to be fat like you. And I was, that's not a compliment. <laughs> I did. I'm hoping that the tables are turning a little bit. I've, I just would love to be kind of curvy. We always use the euphemism curvy, don't we? I, I genuinely would love to be curvy. So who knows? But yeah, it's a very Western hang up that, isn't it? I think. So you must be surrounded by a lot of different languages in Singapore, Justin. Yeah, I mean, um, out here in Singapore, you are obviously people speaking Mandarin. You've got people. I mean, I think in my the one of my clients that I work with, they were telling me there's 33 different nationalities they've got in their office. Now, that's incredible. And and, and obviously Singapore, it's uh, I, you know quite heavy Mandarin, but it's also Malay, and there's also a, a lot of people who come from uh, from Indian or Punjabi heritage as well. So I've been surrounded by them here in Singapore for well, uh, different languages for, for the two and a half years I've been here and you get quite used to it and in Dubai I'd say it was even more because there in Dubai it's like 90% of the workforce in the, in the Middle East still is reliant on expats on expats coming in you know the the UA is pretty much built that country on a build it and they will come philosophy and there especially I, I really sort of felt myself surrounded by continuously that's where I actually was using the Spanish more because you know, you would, um, there's a lot of Latinos in, in the creative industry that I work in. There's a lot of Latinos there. Um, and you find, you know, that comes in quite handy there, which I never really thought it would when I was in the UAE, you know, speaking Spanish. But, um, and they're also, um, for those people that speak French, there's a lot of French speakers in the Middle East as well. There's a lot of Lebanese um, heritage. There's a lot of Lebanese people there. Um, but also the luxury industry is huge there. And that's mostly filled with French people. 
Jessica, just in it sounds like your grasp of languages has actually helped you fit in all over the world and not just in the countries that you'd expect it to help. Yeah, it has. And that's, that's you know, that's again, that's why it's just so beneficial to, to, you know, to have a language because you never know when it's going to come in handy, not just on holiday, but so much in a professional perspective, even if you don't speak it fluent, you know, it's, it can be so handy. I speak to people, even though I'm based, I've been based abroad or when I've worked in the UK, I don't just speak to people in my field. I don't just speak to people from England, right? Or from the UK. I speak to an international candidate base. So, you know, I am often talking to people from Spain or from France or from Uruguay, Japan, et cetera. So if you know the language, you can just develop such a personal relationship with that person. And it just makes the journey, particularly in my field, when you work with them that much smoother. When you've got all of these multilingual candidates who are applying to your recruitment firm, do you think that it allows them to jump up the pay scale a little bit if they can speak a number of different languages? Absolutely. I, 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 in fact, uh, we've got, so um, prior to this, I was looking at uh, the statistics and it's actually, I say um, from it, the average is about 15% more. So wow. the people who spoke the local dialect could, could claim up to 15% more. Also, there was just far fewer of them as well. So that, you know, it, they were always, they were in demand. So not only would, could they, you know, negotiate from a position of strength, but there was that sort of security that perhaps if it didn't work out with the, the, the employer that they're with, that there's plenty of other people that would be interested in them. So 100% do I agree that, you know, having a language gives you that extra opportunity and gives you more money. No, as I can say, there's some great research done in the um, US by um, a man called Johnson O'Connor, and he was trying to look at the various factors um, or the various skills that people have as predictors of success in business. And vocabulary was by far and away the biggest predictor, but not just in your native language, but also if you had that in a foreign language, it just, as Justin said, it just kind of propelled you, um, you know, skywards really, because it, it just, it enables so many different things and unlocks so much uh, different potential. And he, he basically eliminated all other variables. So it was very, very clear that, that vocab both in native in your native language and non-native language was you know as i say the biggest predictor of success in life kind of financially but i don't know if he was looking at it from a kind of cultural and personal fulfillment point of view but you know you, you could easily say the same for that too i think uh, so justin in terms of furthering your career do you think that an immersive app like rosetta stone can actually help people get ahead yeah absolutely look I, as i've said before furthering languages can play a massive part in furthering your career and, and it's you know I've got all the stats facts to back it up and I'm you know I've been living and breathing it for, for 12 years as well so you know I, I think that's where I've really seen you know there, there are a lot of great things that say British talent can bring to an employer but where one thing is they've really lacked is language skills and it's it's quite often where they get pipped at the post so Somewhere like something like Rosetta saying can be a you know a real valuable tool. It's interesting that TikTok, like what you said, have, have plugged it in as part of their um, induction program. Because yeah. I'm actually hearing this more and more. I think the U.S. tech companies have really jumped onto this actually, and that's you know I think um, maybe because of the value, you know how, how much they're worth and how much they can put towards com uh, induction programs for employees. But I think that's really something a lot of employers, if they want, particularly international 
businesses or companies that want to open up a hub, they've got to make sure that their employees, particularly if they're bringing them over, have got uh, an insight into, uh, well, language and culture, I'd say, you know, that's the, the two things are really important. If you're going to succeed and if that, you know, if that international career is going to be as successful as you want it to be, then language is just going to play a, a huge role in that. That's a fact. So unfortunately, I think that's just about all that we've got time for today. So just a really big thank you to you, Justin, and to you as well, Susie. It really sounds like languages can put us ahead in our field. Without doubt. Thanks, Alex. Thanks a lot. It's been brilliant. In honour of our expert guest, Susie Dent, who's known for her word of the day on Twitter, we are giving you the opportunity to win a year's subscription to the Rosetta Stone app. All you have to do is tweet Susie with your favourite foreign word of the day from a language discussed in this episode, along with the hashtag more than words, and Susie will retweet her favourite. Bonne chance! <laughs>